My name is Nate, and I'm part of the team at C-SPAN that brings you live coverage of Congress and the day's top political events unfiltered. As a nonprofit organization that receives no government funding, we're asking for your help to support C-SPAN's daily operations. Please visit cspan.org slash donate to learn more and consider making a one-time or recurring tax-deductible donation. That's cspan.org slash donate. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This week, C-SPAN was on the road in Iowa as 2024 presidential candidates brought along surrogates to help make their cases to caucus goers, with just three weeks to go until the Hawkeye State's first in the nation contest. Hear Florida Congressman Matt Gates stumping for former President Donald Trump in Iowa. See Governor Ron DeSantis with Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey also in the Hawkeye State. We'll also take a look at how local Republicans in Iowa are preparing for next month's caucus and see independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as he met with voters in Phoenix. Also, conversations with political reporters Stephen Gruber-Miller and Paul Steinhauser on the latest campaign news in New Hampshire and Iowa. But first, a look at the response to the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to bar former President Donald Trump from the state's ballot for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. The former president himself released a statement calling the decision, quote, completely flawed. He went on to state, quote, we have full confidence that the U.S. Supreme Court will quickly rule in our favor and finally put an end to these un-American lawsuits. Next, a look at reaction to the Colorado Supreme Court's decision from fellow Republican contenders Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Nikki Haley. I think the U.S. Supreme Court is going to reverse that, but, but here's the larger thing of what the left and the media and the Democrats are doing. They're doing all this stuff to basically solidify support in the primary for him, get him into the general, and the whole general election is going to be all this legal stuff. And look, it's unfair. Uh, they're abusing power 100%. But the question is, is that going to work? Um, and I think they have a playbook that unfortunately will work, uh, and it'll give Biden or the Democrat or whoever the ability uh, to skate through this thing. That's their plan. That's what they want. What they don't want is to have somebody like me who will make the election not about all those other issues, but will make the election about the failures of Biden, the failures of the left, and how we're going to be able to turn the country around. If that's how the election's framed, uh, we will win. They have just tried to bar President Trump from the Colorado ballot using an unconstitutional maneuver that is a bastardization of the 14th Amendment to our U.S. Constitution. This was a provision, Section 3, that was designed to bar Confederate members, people who switched to the Confederacy, from actually being able to serve. That's very different than what's at issue here, to say the least. This is a hollowed-out husk of what the country was built on. The basic principle that we, the people, select our leadership, not the unelected elite class in the back of palace halls. That's old-world Europe, not the United States. That's why I'm making a pledge today that... I will withdraw, I pledge to withdraw from the Colorado GOP primary ballot unless and until Tr Trump's name is restored. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing, or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack on the way we conduct our constitutional republic. I mean, look, what we saw in Colorado, I will tell you that... I don't think Donald Trump needs to be president. I think I need to be president. I think that's good for the country. But I will beat him fair and square. We don't need to have judges making these decisions. We need voters to have to make these decisions. So I want to see this in the hands of the voters. We're going to win this the right way. We're going to do what we need to do. But the last thing we want is judges telling us who can and can't be on the President Biden also reacted to the news from Colorado's Supreme Court while arriving for a visit to Milwaukee. Let's listen. I trust the court. 
self-evident. Self you saw it all. Now, whether the 14th Amendment applies, I'll let the court make that decision. But he certainly supported an insurrection. There's no question about it. None. Zero. And uh, he seems to be doubling down on about everything. Anyway, I've got to go do this. Hey, what are you, are we... Next, we're in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. That's where Republican Congressman Matt Gates of Florida spoke to Republican caucus goers, telling them why he was supporting the former president's 2024 bid. Let's listen. We have to have the strength. And with all due respect to all the other Republicans who are running for president right now, there is one man with the experience and the drive and the vision to lead our party and our movement, and that is Donald J. Trump. How did it get this way? How did it get this way where these agencies were turned against us, where our budget was not in any way in line with our thinking about how to appropriate dollars where our border was exploded? The reason it got this way is because Washington, D.C. is a fundamentally corrupt place. And for far too long, it's been the same special interests in big pharma and big business and big banks and big tech that have bought off the people in both political parties. And so it's mattered less who's in control of what branch or what body or what caucus because far too many of the people in Washington, D.C. are working for the same special interests. And that is why President Trump is so dangerous to them because they know he cannot be bought. He cannot be corrupted. He cannot be persuaded because in Washington, D.C., first, they try to buy you off then they try to compromise you, and then they try to destroy you. I know. I've been through it. And what I can tell you is, like President Trump, when you come out the other side, you are stronger, and you have the armor of God and the vision and the capability to go forward and dismantle these systems. That is why I'm so enthusiastically for President Trump, because he sees it, he knows it, he gets it. And when you observe all that they're putting him through, it just makes me want to rededicate myself more. When I see the phony charges, when I see the misuse of the criminal justice system, when I see them try to bankrupt and jail this man, it makes me want to book that next trip to Iowa. It makes me want to make sure that I call 10 people to come and caucus. And that's what we have that these other astroturfed movements don't have. We are the ones. We are the people. There's no other group coming to save this nation. We have to unify as patriots, and we have to know the stakes and what is before us. Uh, Ginger and I travel all over this country to encourage our America First brothers and sisters, and we do it on the West Coast, the East Coast, all over. And in some places, people wonder how they can have a role. It, maybe they don't have a really swing Senate district where they live. Or maybe there's not one of the most important congressional contests there. And so they really have to think about how to become digital warriors or maybe donate financially to a campaign that's in another part of the country. But you are right here where all the action is at the tip of the spear. And here's what's going to happen on caucus night. We are, we are going to be either a divided movement, a divided party that will stumble off into New Hampshire and South Carolina and, and Super Tuesday with Republicans spending tens of millions of dollars fighting each other while the Democrats just continue to prop whatever version of Joe they have up and trot him out on the stage. Or you can deliver such a resounding victory in the Iowa caucuses that we acknowledge that this is a specific moment for a specific man and that our party and that our fellow conservatives and like-minded independents and Democrats will join with us to get the nation back. And, and that is what we need. And we have a president right now who has invited all of this misbehavior around the world because he is so weak and so feeble and so disorganized and everywhere. President Trump, he was a little more unpredictable. And he used a sharp tongue, but he kept these dictators around the world on their best behavior. And that's what a strong leader can do. And that doesn't make him a dictator. That doesn't make us extremists. That just means that we love our nation as we should, and we are willing to fight and do whatever is necessary to protect and defend her. So what I need from all of you 
at, at the tip of the spear, at the front line of this fight, with the first most dispositive voice in this upcoming caucus contest, go out there, recruit 10 captains that can recruit 10 other people to commit to show up in caucus. My only worry is low turnout. I don't want our folks, I don't want our fellow patriots thinking, well, a caucus is a little different than an election. I don't know if, how that really works. I don't know what I have to do. Do I have to give a speech? Remember, the other side right now, they're so nasty and they're so vile and they're so off-putting and odious with everything that they're trying to do to cancel us online, to hunt us in real life. And so in these days leading up to the caucus, I am, you are our brand ambassadors. You are carrying the Trump brand as you go out and recruit these captains and get these caucus goers. And so be inviting. While things are challenging and we have to turn them around, this is the team that's going to do it. And I am so very proud to have all of you on my team. Thank you for letting me fight for you in Washington. Thank you for all you do for the Hawkeye State and for President Trump. Let's go caucus. Let's go win. Let's get to that 75% and let's go get them. Thank you all so much. Governor Ron DeSantis also brought along a surrogate to the Hawkeye State last weekend. He was in Johnston, Iowa, along with Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey, who told the crowd why he was supporting the governor's presidential bid. Let's listen. I think this is the first presidential candidate who has ever come out in favor of legislation that would limit his power as a president. I mean, that is remarkable. But, you know, on on the way over here, he was telling me about stuff he did in Florida. And I said, did you do that by executive order or did you have to pass that through the legislature? And the answer was always, I got it passed through the legislature. And that's, I mean... That's the hard work. That's the hard way of doing it. But it sticks. The, everything that you've done that you put through the legislature will be in place after you're gone. And that's what we need. He mentioned the RAINS Act. That actually, we debated that and, and had a hearing on that in my subcommittee, in the Judiciary Subcommittee. Jim Jordan wanted me to chair the subcommittee on antitrust. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of complicated law. And isn't that the government going in and punishing, you know, Winners and losers are pick, picking the winners and losers. He says, I'll rename it to the uh, committee, the subcommittee on administrative law, regulatory reform, and antitrust. <laughs> and I said, administrative law? That's like 95% of the government? You're going to give me jurisdiction over that? So I took it. And, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, Massey, you can have hearings on raw milk or whatever you want. So... So I've been doing that. I had, I've had a hearing on the fact that four meat processors control 85% of the U.S. market. And I've got a bill to fix that to empower, not by going in and busting them up and having the government sit there with guards and say, are you colluding, but by giving small processors and farmers and consumers the power to get the USDA the hell out of their lives. You know, another thing... Another thing we'll do that is kind of like because the administrative state has, has been unaccountable, you know, you have like the Department of Education has like SWAT teams and stuff. We are going to eliminate that nonsense. I mean, they should not be militarized. They're politically weaponized, and then they're, they're, they're militarized. Like that is totally unacceptable. So you're going to see these IRS agents, Department of Education, like that is just a, a non-starter with me. They should not be wielding that power. Governor, I wanted to tell you, as soon as I heard Congressman Massey was endorsing you, you that guaranteed my vote for oh, you. Thank you. <laughs> and so I just want you to know that. Um, to all the Ron Paul and Rand Paul caucus goers, and also there's a lot of liberty lovers in New Hampshire too, what's your message to those voters that, that if you just wanted them to know one thing about you before they voted? Well, I'll let Thomas uh, answer that, but I think what he would say is that, uh, it, you know, we're talking about Second Amendment rights, very important. We, you know, we talk about other things. But uh, when was the time where our rights were most in jeopardy? It was during COVID. And, and who was willing to stand up? Very few. I was one of the ones that was willing to stand up, take the heat, uh, take the attacks uh, to make sure that my people were able to work, go to school, and to be able to make their own decisions. We banned vaccine passports in the state of Florida. We banned COVID vaccine mandates on employment 
and we made sure that people that that wasn't being weaponized against people. So I think in terms of in terms of liberty, that was the number one threat to liberty that we have faced, uh, and, and certainly in my lifetime. Uh, and very few were able to stand up. And not only did we stand up. We beat Fauci on all these things. We made Florida the free state in this country. So my, my gateway into understanding the Constitution was actually the Second Amendment. And by the way, if you all didn't have constitutional carry, I wouldn't have come here today. But um, So thank you for getting that passed, okay, you guys in the legislature. But my gateway was the Second Amendment, and it was always my litmus test, was you ask a politician about the Second Amendment, and if they start out their sentence with duck hunting, meh, I am not voting for you. I like duck hunting. That's great, but that is not what the Second Amendment is about. And if you don't understand the Second Amendment, chances are you don't understand any of the rest of that document. Okay? That's, that's still uh, – and, and Ron gets it. But my litmus test is now different. After COVID, the, the day before they started 15 days to slow the spread, I could see this coming down. And I tweeted, I said, I fear that the infringements of our liberties in the next year are going to be greater than FDR's internment of Japanese, of Japanese Americans in camps. Now, I did that to kind of upset the Democrats and remind them that, like, the tyranny came from their president, right? So they got mad at that, but unfortunately what I said was true. Yep. Like all of our – and there still are Republicans. There are still presidential candidates who don't get this. They do not – there's one presidential candidate who was responsible for perpetuating some of this tyranny, okay? And I was, I was taking the brunt of that. And then there's some candidates – we don't know where they were when COVID happened, Right. I think they were trying to sell drugs and, uh, you know, and more data to the government on, on people. Okay. And, um, and then there are just people who went along to get along. Okay. All of those people constitutionally are disqualified for service. And it, the governor put his, his finger on it. The greatest threat to liberty that's happened in, in my adult lifetime was during COVID, and this is the only guy who was fighting when it could have cost him his position in government. Congressman Massey spoke to a McClatchy News reporter following the event. He said it was possible that Governor DeSantis would outperform expectations, but likely wouldn't beat frontrunner former President Donald Trump in next month's Iowa caucus. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Next, an interview with Stephen Gruber Miller of the Des Moines Register in Iowa. He told us about the state of the GOP presidential race there, with just three weeks left until the First in the Nation caucus. The Des Moines Register and NBC News have done some polling uh, on Iowa on the Republican presidential race. And what we found is Donald Trump has increased his support from earlier in the year. He now has a majority support among Iowa caucus goers at 51 percent. Uh, Ron DeSantis comes second at 19 percent. Nikki Haley comes third, close behind at 16 percent. Uh, those are really uh, the only candidates above 5 percent here. So those are the three uh, who have uh, some significant support in operations in Iowa going into caucus day. So we covered a couple of events with Trump and DeSantis surrogates out in Iowa from the past weekend. What's the role of those surrogates and do Iowans care? Yeah, campaigns always want to point to supporters as proof that they're plugged into certain communities or that they're plugged into the state and the values that matter. So DeSantis has dozens of legislative endorsements, and he has his biggest endorsement, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds. And she's been out. She's cut ads for him. She's been out on the trail um, campaigning for him. Uh, interestingly, we polled on this, too, and our polling shows actually – uh, 31% of, of likely Republican caucus goers say it makes them more likely to support DeSantis. 14% say it makes them less likely to support him. But 54%, a majority, say it doesn't matter to them at all. So I think, you know, Iowans, uh, 
there's always trusted messengers that people like to to turn to, but Iowans also like to make up their own minds. So they're going to go into to caucus night, um, you know, kind of considering all of those supporters, but but ultimately making a decision themselves. And as far as Reynolds goes, you know, Trump has sort of tried to cut into this advantage as well. He his campaign is also running ads uh, with clips of of the governor praising him during past rallies before the current presidential race was uh, underway, um, making it seem like she's endorsed him when, in fact, she's endorsed DeSantis. You've been out on the trail with candidate Nikki Haley in recent days. Um, What was that like? What was that experience like? And uh, what's her ground game like in Iowa with three weeks to go? Yeah, Nikki Haley has uh, sort of lagged behind DeSantis and Trump as far as ground game. DeSantis and the Never Back Down pack have had dozens of people on the ground in Iowa. And Trump has a really sophisticated ground game this year, which wasn't the case when he first ran in 2016. So Haley has kind of been playing catch up a little bit to that. She sort of saved some of her money from earlier in the race um, and is deploying it now. She's also got an endorsement from Americans for Prosperity Action, National Conservative Grassroots Network, and they have about 10 staffers and dozens of full-time door no- or dozens of door knockers who are out encouraging people to go caucus for her. So she's hopeful that that endorsement will help um, help her close that gap. Uh, as far as her events, you know, she holds town hall events. She always takes questions from the crowd. She's uh, she's a very polished speaker and, and is very good at answering those those audience questions. Um you know, she had a pretty big event. She had around 300 people at an event uh, last night in Davenport, which is probably her bigger one on this swing. And she's been a little bit slower to uh, visit Iowa. She hasn't done, um, you know, the 99 county tour like DeSantis has, but she's sort of ramping up her travel in the last month. And I think we're going to see a lot of her between now and caucuses. This last swing she just completed was five days, uh, 10 campaign events over that time. So with three weeks left to go until the caucuses, what is it going to be like on the ground for voters and candidates in Iowa? Well, if you're in Iowa, you've already seen the ads uh, either online or on your TV screens. Uh, There's a lot of candidate ads attacking each other, um, particularly DeSantis and Haley's PACs have been going after each other as they try to position themselves as the main challenger to Donald Trump. So they're not going after Trump as much on the air, but they are going after each other. You know, Trump, like I, I mentioned earlier, is is running ads uh, with Governor Reynolds praising him in the past. All the candidates are running ads, you know, promoting themselves. So that's one aspect of things. You also might get, you know, someone knocking on your door. You might get text messages telling you, um, hey, come out to a candidate event or come, come caucus. Make sure you're ready to caucus on January 15th. So there will be a lot of last minute action by these campaigns to try to get people out to events. And most importantly, get them out on a cold January 15th night to caucus. And what are you and your Des Moines Register colleagues looking at over the next three weeks? What are kind of little signs of of what may happen? Yeah, the caucuses traditionally break late. And what we see, we, we always look for if there's a late surge of support for anybody, right? The race could look a certain way now and, uh, You know, some candidate could gain a little bit of momentum. I think it's going to be a matter of degrees uh, as far as the results in Iowa. Right. Trump has that big lead. And historically, we've we've never seen anyone with that large of a lead uh, get leapfrogged in the caucuses. But a strong second place could be good for either Haley or DeSantis going into New Hampshire. Um, And so they'll be looking to uh, whatever the margin is, they'll be looking to frame it as a win for them. And, And so the degrees matter. Right. Turnout and organization matter because. Again, you have to get your your people out, your supporters out on a very specific night at a specific time to go um, caucus for you. It's a little bit different than a primary. So the organization and ability to um, get people uh, motivated to turn out really matters. Next, a look at how Republican activists in Iowa are preparing for the Hawkeye State's first in the nation caucuses. A peek into a meeting of the Boone County GOP where locals were welcome to ask questions about how the caucus process works and what they can expect next month. So what is a caucus? They, they wanted to um, have something. Um, what is a caucus? And that was before I knew C-SPAN was going to come and <laughs> tape this. But, um, so what is a caucus? People want to know what's the difference between a caucus and a primary. So when you want to know something, what do you do? You look in the dictionary. A primary is run by the state, just like any other election. You go vote where you normally vote. A caucus 
and I'm reading what the dictionary said. A caucus is a closed meeting of a group of persons belonging to the same political party or faction, usually to select candidates or to decide on policy. So in Iowa, this means the political parties themselves run the caucus. It's not run by the state or the county or anybody. A little one, bit more. Okay. One more thing to read. This is for all of our friends not in Iowa that may be listening to this. Briefly, this is what we would like the rest of the country to know about the Republican Iowa caucus. You have to be a registered Republican living in your precinct to vote in person at the designated site. It's a one evening only event with no absentee voting. We use paper ballots counted by hand. No one out of state can vote, although you can certainly attend as a visitor, such as the media. So that's it. Eileen, can I yes. touch on a couple of things? Sure, sure. Okay. Um, in regards to after I get done and I turn it over to the caucus, I think we should run through a little bit of what happens in the actual precincts. Okay. How that how that goes. If that's okay. all right. Like oh yeah. And and so basically once the once the, the caucus once everything is adjourned to the individual precincts, there's a chairperson and a secretary. And the first order of business that they will do is to have the vote. To vote, vote themselves as? As, secret, as permanent right. chair. chair and permanent secretary. That way the chair, they have someone who's going to conduct the meeting, and the secretary is, is just as important, if not more important, because they're the ones that record all the information down mm -hmm. as far as addresses, names, uh, as who does whatever. Yes? You said permanent chair and permanent secretary. I thought it was temporary. Well, you're vote. temporary until you're voted in as permanent. Okay. Yes, that happens right away as soon as you're there. You, we have, you have to have somebody running it, so that's why you call it a temporary chair and a temporary secretary. And nine times out of ten, they will become the permanent Secretary and the permanent chairman, but you have to have a temporary one to get get the process started, and then legally you vote them in as your permanent. Okay, does that make sense? Looks like a formality, but it's that's the way you have to do and it. And they're already chosen. Yes. All of those temporary chairs and temporary secretaries are already chosen, and they know that that they're going to be going to their precinct, and they're going to nominate themselves. I nominate myself as, um, or somebody can do it, you know, for, from the group. And most generally, nobody challenges that because nobody wants to be a chairman. <laughs> so or the secretary. Or the secretary. So. I think the next thing that we need to discuss, because I heard a question asked, well, what else goes on in front of everybody? Well, probably the next after the permanent one is was uh, elected, then go ahead and tell them. Um, well, actually, the next thing is we have what's called a Lincoln bag, and we pass it around for donations that come to our Boone County funds. And after that, we we will collect the the uh, presidential ballots, and those those people that are counters, like Cam is going to be a counter. We we're going to, haven't found them all yet, but we're going to designate counters too. So they will collect the ballots and we're going to send them off to uh, a classroom at DMAC to do the counting. Um, not every um, caucus does this, but we're going to because we, we have seven precincts in our room. So, um, and and when they go off to do the counting, that allows the temporary, the now permanent and permanent um, chair and secretary just to start doing the business because um, we're going to nominate people for the Boone County Committee, which Cam was wondering about. How do I do that if I have to count balance? Well, we can make sure his name is on, on the list. Um, so we, that, that's one election. Um, and then another election is people that want to come to the county convention in February. Yeah, in February. And um, there's the platform of um, Iowa to look at if we want to add planks to that. So that's another thing. And then 
at some point in that in time, they will come back into the, the counters will come back and tell us what the vote was. If I could add one more thing, and I'm, sure. I'm not trying to interrupt you, but I think it's important because I know this, this will be a question. Well, how can, how can you take the balance away from the room and going somewhere else? How do we know that they're being counted properly? The campaigns have already said that they want people, and it's in, it's in the state bylaws that they're allowed and, and they should come and watch the counting of the ballots. So every, um, just like uh, Boone won, will have two counters, and they will probably have two or three people standing behind them watching to make sure that they're counting them properly. So it's, it's a, and, and this is something that we talked about because we felt people, historically people at the caucus, they, the most, one of the most important things they probably want to do is vote for this presidential straw poll or election, whichever one you want to call it. But, and they don't want to sit there for long hours and hours after hours. So we want to move it along swiftly, not hurry it, but move it swiftly so that the business can be taken care of while, while the ballots are being counted, and then they'll bring the results of the ballots in, and by then a lot of the business will be done at the precincts. And um, on a state election or a, you know, a um, government election, they have something called chain of custody. So Cam is going to have a paper that has, you know, where he tallies up the votes, and he's going to sign that paper that says, I was a counter. And then it's up to him and his fellow county or counter to do it accurately, count it twice, and then um, bring it to the person that's going to call it in to the state. So it, it, it's... Um, and who's that? Who calls it into the state? I do. I'm going to do that. So the leader of every... Like, you're the leader of the boom one? Right. And Rick is going to be leading the Ogden? Right, and Tammy. So uh, we would be the designated. And it, it's, um, you can either call it in and they say, please don't do that. Use an app because we can't answer them anything. So it'll be an app on a phone that we, um, and, I, and I'll have seven precincts to report. So, and I have somebody to help me. Independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was also out on the campaign trail this past week. In Phoenix, he urged supporters to help him garner 43,000 signatures to appear on Arizona's ballot and talked about why he appealed to younger voters. Let's listen. We're launching tonight our ballot petition drive in this state. Uh, we need 43,000 signatures, and we have until August to get them, but I'm expecting that we're going to do it a lot quicker than that. In order to get, in order, prior to launching the ballot initiative, ballot petition drive in this state, we need to name all of our electors. And so we have a number, and those are the electors who a couple days after the election will go to the Capitol and cast their vote for me. And we got all those electors very, very quickly. They have to be people who are very trusted, who won't take a bribe and who, are, who share the values of his campaign. And I want to thank their, all of our electors are here tonight, and I want to thank them. A, a couple of minutes ago, I read for the first time the new Quinnipiac poll that just came out, and it has me... Uh, it has me leading both President Biden and President Trump among young people, under people. Among, among people under 35, among Americans under 35 years of age. Oh, last month it showed the same thing, the Quinnipiac poll, but I was at 38 in that age group. Today I'm at 40, so my... So the, the momentum is building. The 
Harvard Harris poll that came out recently showed me it actually looks at a different age group, which is under 45. And I'm winning in that age group as well. I'm also winning among independents, and I'm doing very, very well. We're in a three-way tie with Hispanic voters, uh, with me beating President Trump, and, and among many, many other cohorts. So I feel very, very good about where we are today, and I'm really happy to be here in Arizona. They, you know, to me, it's clear why we're doing well among young people. There's a couple of reasons. One is the one group that I don't do well with are the people that I ought to. They're people who know about my family, which are baby boomers. Um, but the... <laughs> The problem with the baby boomers, I think, is that they get their news from MSNBC, Fox, and CNN. And whereas the young people are getting their news from podcasts and long-form interviews, and, and... and they become less subsumed in all the orthodoxies, the things that we're supposed to believe and the things that we're supposed to know. Uh, But the other reason is there's no other candidate who's talking about what's happening with young people. And one of the polls that I read, that was probably the most dismaying data point that I've seen since I started this campaign. It was a poll in 2013 that asked young people, young Americans under 35 years of age, if they were proud of the United States of America. And at that point, 85% of them said yes. The same poll taken last month, 18% said yes. So somehow during the terms of the last two presidents of the United States, all of the young people in our country have lost their faith in the United States of America, their pride in our country, and they've lost, at the same time, their hope for their own future. And, you know, I have six kids at home, and I have seven kids altogether. One of them is 39, and he's in a house. But the other six are between 20 and 30, and they all got good jobs. They went to the best colleges. They got good-paying jobs, but they don't make enough to buy a home. And they're in better shape than most of their generation. But none of their friends is thinking of buying a home either. And for my generation, it was the essential promise of the American dream. That if you worked hard, if you played by the rules, you could finance a home, you could raise a family, you could take a summer vacation, you could put something aside for your retirement on one job. There's nobody in this generation that thinks that that promise applies to them. This is the first generation in American history at 20 to 30 year olds who believe that their lives are going to be worse off than their parents' lives. The American dream for them has become a nightmare. The Arizona Republic reported many of those who attended the Phoenix rally were looking for an alternative in a presumed rematch between President Biden and former President Trump. Next, part of an ad the Kennedy campaign released this week. This fig tree that I'm sitting in, probably 200 years old, and it began as a little tiny seed with almost no chance of growing. And yet it's grown into this mighty structure that dominates the waterway. When I started this campaign last April, almost seven months ago, a lot of people treated it with ridicule and derision. They said it was a long shot, that it would never work. And yet the campaign has grown and we're now leading President Trump and President Biden in all Americans under 45 years of age. We're leading in independent voters and in many, many other categories. And we have a real shot at taking back our country I've spent my career fighting so that Americans can enjoy these kind of 
natural resources. Nature is the infrastructure of our communities. And if we want to meet our obligation to our children, to give them the same opportunities for dignity and enrichment and prosperity and good health as the communities that our parents gave us, we've got to start by protecting our environmental infrastructure. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the wildlife, the fisheries, the public lands. And now... A look back at ads from independent presidential candidates in 1996. Businessmen Ross Perot and Maury Taylor both sought to also solidify support from voters disenchanted with Democrats and Republicans. Next, a few ads from their campaigns. It wasn't long ago that Harley Davidson was about to fail because of free trade with the Japanese. Finally, the fair traders leveled the playing field and Harley was able to keep the tens of thousands of American jobs. But our jobs are in trouble again because of people in Washington like Bob Dole and Bill Clinton. They've never made anything. I'm a manufacturer, not a politician or a lawyer. Call me. I have the business sense we need to keep fair trade for Americans. As president, Ross Perot will explain changes to major programs like Medicare and Social Security to the people. He will conduct national voter referendums so the people can approve or reject. It's your tax dollars, your programs. You should decide. Vote for Perot. There are 27 and a half million veterans in the United States, and there's one more battle to fight. We have to take our country back from the special interests. Don't waste your vote in 96. Just vote for Ross. Because you own this country. Next, a little more from President Biden's trip to Milwaukee. The Journal Sentinel newspaper there reported his visit to the state's Black Chamber of Commerce was intended to highlight his administration's support for black-owned businesses. Black voters in the Milwaukee area are considered crucial for President Biden in his re-election bid. In 2020, he won the state by just more than 20,000 votes. All this groundbreaking work is producing groundbreaking results. Record job creation, historic economic growth. We have among the lowest inflation rates of any major economy in the, on this earth. We're fighting a lower cost to give folks just a little bit more breathing room, as my dad used to say. But let's be clear. Republicans are against so many critical actions that help working and middle-class people, especially black Americans. Just remember how the pandemic hit black businesses especially hard. How my predecessor, on his watch, Women and minority-owned small businesses found themselves last in line to access emergency relief through programs like the Paycheck Protection Program. On my watch, energy and emergency relief went to minority-owned businesses first, not last. We also, when I came to office, we cut black child poverty in half because of the child tax credit. As I tried to extend it, every single Republican Congress in Congress voted against continuing the program. But I'm not giving up till we get it back. And by the way, all the data shows it saves the economy money. The spending on child poverty saves money in health care, educate a whole range of things. This is not a uh, down the drain. It generates growth. We drafted and I signed a law, that, a law that will lower prescription drug costs significantly for all Americans. And I was at a town meeting in Northern Virginia, and I was holding a meeting. This is two years ago. I've been fighting big pharma for a long time. You know, if you buy, if you go to whatever your, your, your provider, any drug you have to take, any prescription drug, and you decide you're going to buy it here in Milwaukee, or you're going to go buy it in Toronto, Canada, or Paris, France, or Budapest, guess what? You're going to pay two to three times as much for the prescription. Same company, same American manufacturer, same thing. Because Medicare pays for it for most, in most cases. And guess what? We're not — just if you're at the VA and you get the prescription drug, they negotiate the price with the, uh, with, with the pharmaceutical company. Well, they passed laws earlier, wave on them, and fighting it for over 35 years to say you can't negotiate, Medicare can't negotiate for drug prices for, for and by the way, that's how they make enormous amounts of money. And by the way, every one of my Republican colleagues voted against this one. 
And now they're trying to cut Medicare, trying to cut Medicaid and Social Security. Your own Senator Johnson calls Social Security a, quote, Ponzi scheme. Are you kidding me? You know, from the time you get your first paycheck, you pay into Social Security your whole life. These are the same Republicans who enact the tax cuts to overwhelmingly benefit the wealthy to the tune of $2 trillion additional deficit. There are also something else that's happening. There's some in this country who are waging a full-on attack of black economic opportunity. They're denying economic opportunity when it comes to higher education, starting a business, keeping businesses open. That's what the, that's how you generate economic opportunity. You educate people. And folks, by the way, I uh, I went to the Supreme Court my to eliminate student debt is out there. And guess what? The Supreme Court ruled against, but I still got 136 million people debt relieved. Because guess what? The interest they're paying on that debt is something that prevents them from buying a home, starting a business, all those things. Now, that's on top of easing black history and banning books, erasing black history and banning books. Did you ever think you'd live in a country, now all kidding aside, growing up, where we're banning books, book banning in, in grade schools and high schools? I think it's unconscionable. These attacks hurt all Americans because investing in black economic prosperity lifts everybody up. You know, we always believe diversity is our strength as a nation. I don't believe, as the president, former president said again yesterday, that immigrants are polluting, polluting our blood. The economy in our nation is stronger when we're tapping into the full, full range of talents in this nation. My administration is going to continue to fight for these, to fight these attacks because everyone deserves a fair shot, just a shot. Let me close with this. You know, for all we've done, the real heroes of this story are you, the American people, not a joke, not a joke. Hardworking people like Rashawn of Hero Plumbing here in Milwaukee, in the thousands of towns all across America, there's thousands of stories of revival and renewal, hope and optimism, because people aren't giving up. Pride in your work and your family and your town. Pride in this nation. That's what I see, no matter where I go in this country. That's why I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I've never been more optimistic about America's prospects and America's future than I am today. You just have to remember who we are. We are the United States of America. And there is nothing, there is nothing beyond our capacity if we work together, if we work together. That's, and by the way, as I said, we're the only country in the world that out of every crisis, We've come out stronger than we went in. Remember, remember who we are. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Paul Steinhauser is Fox News national political reporter and columnist with the Concord Monitor in New Hampshire. Paul Steinhauser, what's the current race, uh, the current state of the GOP presidential race in New Hampshire right now? Well, our governor up here in New Hampshire, Chris Nunu, who endorsed Nikki Haley uh, in mid-December, is crowing that it is now a two-person race in New Hampshire between her and former President Donald Trump, who obviously remains the commanding frontrunner both nationally and in the early state polls. But got a couple of surveys that have come out in just in recent days uh, that were conducted er, during and after Sununu's endorsement that really do show it is becoming a two-person race here. Trump's lead in the mid-40s, Haley now surging to about 29 or 30 percent among likely Republican primary, presidential primary voters in New Hampshire. And what is uh, Nikki Haley's ground game like in New Hampshire? What's her campaign doing? Well, her ground game was pretty small for quite some time. Remember, Haley for months had been running a very nimble, very lean machine, a very small campaign with not a big imprint either here in New Hampshire or in Iowa, which whose caucuses lead off the, the calendar. They go on January 15th, our primary on the 23rd. But in recent weeks, uh, she's been building up her staff in New Hampshire. 
She also landed the endorsement, the backing uh, back in November or early December, I believe, uh, from Americans for Prosperity from their political wing. And with that comes a lot of support when it comes to the ground game, when it comes to getting out the vote and reaching out to, to the grassroots. So she's definitely been boosted in recent weeks. And now she has uh, Governor Sununu's endorsement in, as well. And that doesn't come with a huge organization. But it does come with probably arguably the most energetic governor in the country, somebody who's going to be tireless for her on the campaign trail and as a top surrogate doing media interviews. You wrote earlier this week um, as well about kind of an ad battle going on between super PACs um, uh, supporting Haley and Trump. Uh, what are those ads looking like and how big are the buys? Yeah, the Trump super PAC, MAGA Incorporated, Make America Great Again Incorporated, had been off the air for a while in New Hampshire, but uh, now they're up with new ads. And instead of taking aim at Ron DeSantis, who was their big target back uh, in the summer and early fall, uh, they're now going after Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley promised. I will not, not now, not ever, support raising the gas tax. Really? Not now? Not ever? Just 24 months later, high tax Haley flipped. Let's increase the gas tax by 10 cents. That's right. High tax Haley broke her promise. Let's increase the gas tax. Repeatedly backing higher taxes hurts families. New Hampshire can't afford Nikki high tax Haley. Make America Great Again Inc. is responsible for the content of this. The super PAC supporting her Stand for America fund is firing back uh, and uh, kind of noting that, well, if everybody's attacking Nikki Haley, there must be a reason why. Of all the Republicans running for president, why is Donald Trump only attacking Nikki Haley? Because Trump knows Haley's the only one who can beat him. As governor, Nikki Haley cut taxes for small businesses by 40%. And now she's pledging to eliminate the federal gas tax. Want an 80-year-old name from the past or a new generation of conservative leadership? SFA Fund Inc. is responsible for the so, New Hampshire's been flooded with ads. We're going to see a lot more between now and January 23rd. And it's a very similar story in Iowa as well. So we're a month out from New Hampshire's primary. What is the next four weeks going to look like on the ground in the Granite State? You know, it's, it's funny. It's going to actually be a little quiet here. Why? Well, Iowa comes first. So most of the campaign traffic over the holidays and those first two weeks of January leading up to the 15th, you're going to see uh, former President Trump. You're going to see especially Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, to a degree, spending most of their time in Iowa. The one exception to that, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy as well, remember him, the multimillionaire a biotech entrepreneur, first time candidate who's also in the hunt for the nomination. The big, the big, uh, the one oddball there will be former Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey making his second bid for the White House. And just as he did in the 2016 cycle, he's devoting nearly all his time and resources to New Hampshire. So he'll have the state pretty much to himself over a couple of weeks. But once those caucuses are over on the 15th, everybody who's remaining in the race comes right back to New Hampshire. A reminder. This program and all of C-SPAN's campaign 2024 coverage can be found online at cspan.org slash campaign.